Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. I'm so excited to pick up with you today on week two of Behind the Scenes. I'm really excited about what God wants to do in our lives, each and every one of us. I don't believe it's by accident that anybody's here. And and I just got to tell you, I'm excited to be here because I was not here last week and I just missed the Movement Church so much. There is no place like home. And I heard so many incredible things about service last week. And that's because of you, because church is not a building. It's not the pastors. It's made up of the people who call the church home. And I'm just so grateful to be a part of such an incredible church family. And you know, one of the things I'm really excited about is we like to celebrate around here. And we like to celebrate milestones, moments that you cannot forget. And so the Movement Church is getting ready to celebrate our six-year anniversary. Come on, somebody. We are so excited. And maybe you were here from the very beginning, from the very first day that the Movement Church began. And maybe you've come along in the journey. In fact, maybe today's your first day. And we'd like to say welcome. And you are a part of what God is doing here at this church. And we want to celebrate. So I'm going to ask you to help me throw the biggest party that we could possibly ever throw to celebrate our six-year anniversary. Are you ready for that? So when you leave today... You are going to get an invite. It says, let's talk about it. Anybody get it? We're having a taco party to celebrate our six-year anniversary. And there's some invitations that you're going to get when you leave today. And I want to ask you, invite everybody you know. Listen, if, if your life has been impacted here at the Movement Church... Let's invite some other people who might need to be here and sit in these seats and experience what God can do in their life. So I'm going to ask you to partner with me. Grab some invites, maybe more than one. Grab a handful and invite everyone you know to come celebrate with us. It is on September 16th at our 9 and 11 a.m. services. And I'm telling you, it is going to be a blast. You're not going to want to miss it. But for right now, we're going to go ahead and, and dive back in to this series, Behind the Scenes. And for some of you, I know you might be wondering, well, what is that really about? Anybody in this room ever taken a family photo? Anybody? A few of you. I have. I don't really like them. The amount of work that goes into planning for family photos is so much work. And and really, it takes hundreds and thousands of shots to get the picture, the one, right, that miraculously catches everyone at the right angle and smiling, the, the no blinking kind of pictures, the ones that are truly the picture of perfection that we can hang on our wall and we can send them out in our Christmas cards until finally one day the, the clothing and the hairstyle reminds us that we need to take another family picture because this one is very outdated. But we hang these pictures up and we display them because we're proud of them. And we feel like it's a representation of who we are. But you and I both know that if only the camera had been rolling when we were getting ready for the photo, in the behind the scenes moments, when we were trying to get the kids to all stand still and smile at the camera at the same time, when we were trying to get our husbands to participate, anybody in the room feel me? 
If only the camera had caught the things that were happening behind the scenes. Seems like that should be the picture that we really hang on the wall because that is actually a picture of reality, right? But we don't do that because that's the side that we don't really want people to see. And I think that the scary truth is that many of us as individuals, we present this seemingly put together life, fully functional and perhaps overtly righteous display. All the while behind the scenes of our life, we might be hiding some junk. And we hope to distract people from asking. But what happens is that this is like a, a spark in the dry hills of California that lights and can rapidly start a fire that causes so much destruction. We don't want people to ask us what's really happening in our life. We avoid authentic conversations and relationships. We go so far as to deceive ourselves because we've learned how to live with this. And this series that we're in the middle of is all about going behind the scenes. Going behind the scenes and allowing the Holy Spirit to remove the corrosive power of sin while simultaneously restoring you and me to our original intent. You know, there's a scripture we've been reading and it's found in Romans chapter six, verse 12 through 14. And it says this, sin is a dethroned monarch. So you must no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life, controlling how you live and compelling you to obey its desires and cravings. Listen, it's been dealt with. We don't have to give it power anymore. So then it says, so then refuse to answer its call to surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Instead, passionately allow God. It's called to keep yielding your body to him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. You live now for his pleasure, ready to be used for his noble purpose. Remember this, listen, sin will not conquer you. For God already has. You are not governed by the law, but you are governed by the reign of the grace of God. Listen, this is a promise in the word of God for you and me. We don't have to be governed any longer by areas of hidden sin. Because we are governed by the grace of God that is available to every single one of us. And you know, I don't know if you were here for week one of this series, but Pastor Kerry preached such a timely message, sharing with us that the power of sin is actually in the secret. And that's why sin can be so crippling. And he shared with us exactly what we should do about it. If you weren't here, I'm gonna challenge you to go and get the podcast because it's a life-changing message. He told us it starts with confession, bringing God in on the journey, and then bringing God's people in on the journey. And third, changing the direction of the journey. And today, I get to talk to you about something else that's pretty powerful. The power of distraction. You know, I looked up the definition of distraction, and it says this. Distraction is a thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. A thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. 
And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. But can we take a moment before we begin and just pray and invite God to do what he wants to do in each and every one of our hearts? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for what you're doing in this room. God, I thank you that it's not by accident that anyone is here. God, I thank you that you have a plan for every single one of us. God, I thank you that you care about the details of our lives. God, that you're willing to come in and maybe allow us to feel a little bit of discomfort so that you can do the work that needs to be done so we can experience the fullness of all that you have for us. So God, today we ask that you would do a work in our hearts. Open our ears to hear and our eyes to see exactly what you have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys, for playing something pretty. That was good. We have an amazing worship team, don't we? Come on. You know, as I was pondering Pastor Kerry's message in the last time he shared about the secret sins, I was thinking about what secret sins really are in our life and what they, what they look like. If we could see them in person, what they would actually look and feel like. And the, the best visual imagery that came to my mind is that secret sins are kind of like a boil. I don't know if you've ever had a boil. I have, and it's awful. And maybe you've seen pictures of a boil. In fact, I really contemplated putting a picture on this giant screen behind me, but I thought I might lose the entire crowd because you'd be like passing out in the room as we speak. But secret sin, it's like a boil. So use your imagination with me for just a moment and imagine what that might look like. You know, a boil is an infection that starts underneath the skin. And, and it starts out small. And often the area that is infected will get red and it'll get hard. And eventually that boil, that infection will grow. And when that infection grows, oftentimes it grows beyond the skin and it comes out. Almost looks like a giant pimple except 10 times worse. Everybody's with me visualizing this in the moment? I mean, the messiness of what a boil looks like and can be, I think that it's such a great representation of the power of hidden and secret sins. You know, the infection starts under the surface where maybe it's not noticeable for quite some time and the pain is intense. In fact, it, it gets really, really painful, but maybe you don't see it at first and then all of a sudden it comes to the surface and, and so many people don't know what to do with that so they just put a Band-Aid over it so they don't have to look at it. But I just think secret sin in our life is kind of like a boil and left undealt with it will eventually cause extreme pain. And what happens if you leave a boil undealt with is the infection that is inside can eventually spread to all parts of your body. But listen, to deal with it, to deal with a boil is going to require some intense pain as well. Some intense pain and some consistency. In fact, there's sometimes where a boil cannot be treated by an individual alone, where you have to actually go and seek medical care, professional help. And do you know what they often have to do? They have to lance that boil. I see faces in the room that are imagining this with me. They have to go in and they have to cut it out. And that can be painful, but the process doesn't actually even stop there because then the person who has had the boil has to be consistent about cleaning that area, that wound every single day until it's healed. So the process is painful and the process is messy. And I think that our problem as individuals is that most of us in this room, we're resistant to pain. 
We do everything we can to avoid pain. And that makes sense, right? I mean, I don't know if any of you ever have, ch- have children. Some of you in this room do. But if you've ever taken a child to the doctor and they have to have a shot, there's something we do as parents. Every single one of us, we're conditioned to do this, where when the child is about to have to get a shot, we do everything we can to distract them. We hold up the shining toy in front of them. We play peekaboo. We do whatever we can do to distract them from the fact that someone is about to jab them with a giant needle. We do this. We try so hard to distract them. In fact, we've even begun to train our children to be distracted rather than to confront and to deal with inappropriate behavior. You know, you think about a child throwing a temper tantrum and oftentimes our approach is rather than deal with a behavior that is absolutely unacceptable and inappropriate, rather than deal with it and confront it and maybe cause pain, we, so we go, oh, I'm going to just distract them. I'm going to get them thinking about something else. You see, from a young age, we've been conditioned to distract ourselves from pain, to look for distractions from pain. You know, I have no pain tolerance. Really, I really don't. And, and so I'm one of these people. And when I went in to have my first child, and I went into the hospital, and, and I went into labor, they, they give me an IV. And I don't know about any of you, but I just don't do needles. And so they went to give me the IV, and I had to be laid down flat, and they had to put an oxygen mask on my face to give me the IV, because I don't do pain. And I've been known that when I go in and I have to have blood drawn for something, I've been known to lay down down and close my eyes and pinch my arm as hard as I can, almost to the point of drawing blood or bite my lip to the point of drawing blood just to distract myself from the needle that's going into my arm. You see, I prefer pain that I can control versus the pain that I can't control. And I just think as a church, we've got to be aware that dealing with the secret sin areas of our life is not going to be comfortable. It's going to be painful. It's going to be uncomfortable. It might even be messy. Because see, there's a cutting away that needs to happen. I love what Hebrews 4.12 says in the message version. It says, God means what he says, and what he says goes. His powerful word is as sharp as a surgeon's scalpel. Listen, there's something about the word of God that he intended for our personal lives to resemble a surgeon's scalpel, something that is able to go into our lives and cut through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it. I love this scripture because it reminds us that in order for our lives to be where God wants them to be, listen, he wants to use his word to come gently into our lives and help us cut away the things that don't belong. And you know, many of you are here on week one of Behind the Scenes, and and I'd be willing to bet, even if you weren't here, just in listening to me talk in this moment, I'd be willing to bet many of you might easily be able to identify a secret sin something that you've struggled with, something that has held power over your life that maybe nobody else knows about. And I bet that many of us would be able to identify that. And I'm, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. In fact, please do not. <laughs> 
But my question for you today would be, how many of you took that step that Pastor Kerry challenged us to take? That step of having a conversation. That step of confession. You see, I think there's some people that were here week one of the series that left knowing that you needed to have a tough conversation with a spouse or with a friend. And maybe some of you had a tough conversation that you know you needed to have with a parent. Maybe some of you were here in this room and you recognized this habitual addiction. Maybe some of you identified a prideful or judgmental heart. And the problem with these hidden sin areas is that they need to be brought to the surface. And many of them need to be lanced like a boil. But the prospect of that is painful and it's messy. So often we just cover it up with a spiritual band-aid and distract ourselves hoping that it will go away. Maybe some of us in this room fear the unknown. What will they think? What will happen next? Maybe some of this, us in this room, we have this fear of loss, realizing that when I actually address this hidden area of sin, now I'm going to be accountable for it, and it could be painful, or it could require change. It could have heavy consequences. So we busy ourselves and we distract ourselves to avoid the doctor's office, so to speak. You know, my father-in-law, many, many, many years ago, was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And he dealt with that in many ways, and he ended up going into remission. And he was in remission for about 10 years. And, and about 10 years later, all of a sudden, these symptoms started to appear that were concerning to him. But he didn't tell anyone about these symptoms because, honestly, they made him a little bit nervous. And he ignored the warning signs, and the warning signs began to grow, and he continued to ignore the warning signs. He didn't go in to see a doctor. And I just wonder if it's because he was hopeful, hopeful that this thing that had once, he had once dealt with was not going to return. I, I imagine he was hopeful about that. And I imagine he was also nervous that to go in and to see a doctor, there, there's no idea what that diagnosis would hold. And many of us know people who've struggled with this before. And so he didn't go to the doctor. And because he didn't go to the doctor, that ultimately led to kidney failure. And so many of us operate like this. There's an area of sin in our life that needs to be dealt with. And listen, it needs some outside help. But we think we can do it by ourselves. And the prospect of getting outside help is intimidating because there's an unknown factor. And it could be painful. It could include some things that we don't want to have to deal with or face. It feels helpless. And so I think so many times we settle for predictable pain to uncertain gain. I think so many times we settle here for predictable pain to uncertain gain. And I just want to ask you today, church, have you found yourself in a pattern of distraction versus dealing? Have you found yourself in a pattern of distraction versus dealing? I know that each and every one of us could possibly look on the inside and, and ask ourselves these questions, but where are you at today? Have you found yourself avoiding a tough conversation with your spouse out of fear for how they're going to respond? Do you find that you're constantly changing topics, trying to keep things upbeat and happy? 
Do you find that you're focusing more of your time and your energy on the kids so that you don't have to focus time and energy on the uncomfortable situations that you might need to have a conversation about? Maybe you've traded in a girl's night or a guy's night for your outlet, for your place of just like, (sighs) and maybe you find yourself in a marriage where there's a lack of intimacy because there's a lack of connection, a lack of authenticity. You know, I'd say to the young people in the room, is there an area of sin in your life that you've kept hidden? Is there anything that you've just been holding on to that, that you've kept hidden, avoiding a conversation with a parent or a leader or a coach because you don't know what the consequences will hold? And so you find yourself distracting yourself with friends, with sports, with school, but the guilt and the shame just eats away at the inside of you? You know, I know that this feels a little bit like a heavy message, But I feel like we've got to be real. If there's any place that we could be real, we've got to be able to have these kind of conversations in church where we stop and we pause and we look on the inside and we allow the Holy Spirit to bring some light on any areas that we might be struggling with or dealing with that have gone unchecked. And I just want to challenge you that we all do this. You're not alone. There is not one person in this room who is alone today or identified by yourself today. Every single one of us does this. We clamor towards distraction versus dealing. You know, a funny, silly example is recently I was in an argument with my husband. Now, I know that you guys think that we're perfect and we never fight, so I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but I was in an argument with my husband, and it was stupid, I'm sure. It was a dumb argument. But I remember that as we were in the middle of this argument, I was just exasperated because here's the thing. Pastor Kerry is the best argumenter, (laughs) is that a word, that you could possibly ever have an argument with. And, And we call him the, like, lawyer because he is so, so good. I love you, babe. You're welcome. I'm, I'm, I'm affirming you right now. He's so, so good. And so I found myself in this place in the middle of this argument where I was completely exasperated. I was like, (sighs) you know, the eye roll, the body language, everything. I was so exasperated. You know how little things can often compound to make something very, very big? And the discomfort of actually dealing with the issue just seemed exhausting to me. It seemed exhausting. And I caught myself doing what I realize now that I do a lot. Immediately after the sigh, I reached for the side of the bed and grabbed my cell phone and immediately opened it up to Instagram and just started scrolling. And I know you laugh because some of you are guilty of doing this exact same thing. It was easier to distract myself from the current situation than to deal with what was really going on. It was so much easier just to scroll and look at everybody else's life than to deal with what was happening in the moment in my life. It was a distraction. And you know, that seems like such a simple example. And maybe you think, well, that's not really that big of a deal, Megan. And it's not. But a pattern of distraction in our lives can cause a root issue of sin to grow. And left unchecked, it can be disastrous. You see, I think we choose distraction over dealing with hidden and secret sins all the time. Anything to avoid it. 
Anything to avoid the conversations that might need to be had. Anything to avoid the pain that we're worried and caught up with fear that that conversation is going to produce. I think so often every single one of us is guilty of looking for distractions to keep from dealing with things that need to be dealt with. And I think often we choose distraction over dealing with emotional issues as well. So what's that thing for you? You know, I shared a a silly example for me, but what's that thing for you? Is it sleep? Do you find yourself just wanting to do whatever you can to get through the day so that you can get to bed, so that you can go to sleep and turn your mind off and not have to think about the issue that you've been struggling with, about the conversation that you know you need to have because this is the second week in church that it's been talked about and you just don't want to have to have the conversation so you find your body just shutting down. I'm so tired and I just want to go to sleep. Is that a distraction? Is it people? Do you ever find yourself busying yourself so much with people, like constantly lining up your calendar to where you have something to do all the time? There's always something to keep you active. Now, mind you, this activeness with people never goes beyond a surface connection. There's no deep conversations. There's no real authenticity, but you're busy and you're having fun and it feels good. Is it people? Do you try to control conversations? so that nobody will ask you the hard and difficult questions? Do you change the direction when you're in the middle of a conversation so that nobody finds out what's really going on on the inside? Is it TV and entertainment to just numb out and not have to think about everything else? Could it be social media? Could it be food? Could it be working out? You see, all of these things in and of themselves are not bad things. Watching TV is not bad. Listen, I don't even think social media is bad. It can be used as a great tool. Working out is a good thing. It's healthy for your body. Food is something we need to sustain ourselves. Sleep we have to have to be healthy. But the problem is when these areas become an idol. The problem is when these areas become an idol. And here's a definition of an idol. If you're taking notes, I'd write this down. Anyone or anything that we use to meet needs that only God can meet. An idol is anyone or anything that we use to meet needs that only God can meet. And what gets us in trouble, listen, is anything that we go after more than we go after God. Anything. You know, a counselor I just met, his name is Chip Judd, and he said this, All addictive behavior and sin cycles are the result of attempting to meet the right needs in the wrong way. The right needs in the wrong way. So let me ask you, church, when pressure is mounting, when anxiety is palpable, when that unchecked and undealt with sin is about to burst and I just need to let my mind go numb by turning on the TV and tuning out the world, it may slip into becoming an idol. TV is not bad, but if it becomes a coping mechanism, it becomes an idol. Remember, anything that we look to, that we're distracted with, that we turn to first before we turn to God, that can become an idol. 
Listen, some of you can relate to the moments where you come in the house. I know that I'm not alone in this. And you're feeling frustrated and you're feeling angry and you're feeling overwhelmed and you can't control the situations that are happening in your world. But you know what you can control? You can clean that house. And some of you are ferocious cleaners. And you know, like when you are angry and when you are frustrated and you can't control situations, man, you can control cleaning that house. You can make sure it's spotless and it smells good. And listen, cleaning your house is not bad. It's a good thing. But when we're turning to something to meet our needs, to make us feel like we're in control, which by the way is an illusion, when we're turning to something to meet our needs, to distract myself from dealing with an inner issue, that's when it becomes an issue. <laughs> Listen, working out, it's healthy. As long as you're not using it as a distraction to deal with a deeper issue. As long as you're not using it as a distraction so that that becomes the method of conversation. So now you have something to talk about on a surface level so that nobody asks you the real questions of what you're really dealing with and what might be happening under the surface. Listen, it's a great thing until it becomes an idol. Gossip and judgment, and blame. So often when we're dealing with inner insecurities or shame, things that we've done that we feel guilty about, it's easy to turn our attention on somebody else, on what we see in them, on what we don't like in them. Cynicism becomes the sound of our voice. You know, a classic response for somebody who's struggling with a hidden sin is to shift the blame, to constantly do everything they can to shift the attention onto somebody else. Somebody else is to blame for the problem and the discomfort and the pain that we're feeling right now. Why? Because clinging so tightly to that sin issue is a feeling of shame. And to expose that means it's gonna have to be cut out and that is gonna require pain. And we wanna avoid pain at all costs. So we distract ourselves and we distract others. There's so many means of distraction. And not all these things are bad. Maybe it's things that you love to do. Maybe you love to go surfing. But honestly, that thing that you love to do has become a method of escape so that you can get out of a conversation, so that you can get to a place where you don't have to deal with things that are really going on on the inside. Listen, not all of these things are bad, but if a distraction has become an idol, it's becoming an issue. And that's the deception of distraction. That's the deception of distraction. You see, we fix our attention on something apparently good, but we're avoiding pain and living life in the shadows, exposed to the light, but living in the dark, avoiding at all costs anyone knowing about those secret issues and distracting ourselves from pain. You know, I don't know if there's anyone in here who's ever been enthralled by a magic show but I'm telling you, it gets me every single time. Anytime I watch a magic show, it is my one goal in life to figure out how the magician is doing the trick. And do you know what? I never figure it out, ever. Pastor Carrie can do magic tricks and I cannot figure them out to save my life. It is the one goal is for me to try to figure it out. But what I've learned is that the reason it's hard for me to figure out is because a magician studies the art of misdirection. In order to perform magic, the magician relies on the art of distractions or misdirections to be able to make the trick work. And you see, the enemy 
is a great magician. And his greatest trick is to convince you and me to not pursue the purpose of God for our life. You see, if he can distract you and misdirect you with something that seems very good, he wins. I once heard someone say, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy or distracted. And I think it's so very true. He'll use anything and everything that he possibly can to keep you from all that God has for you. You know, there's a story in the Bible, and it's a story about two brothers, and their names are Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau were twins that were born to Isaac and Rebekah. And if you've never read this story, it's found in the book of Genesis, chapter 25, but I'm just going to recount it to you today. And the story about Jacob and Esau is that Isaac and Rebekah had prayed for years and years to conceive a child. And when she finally did, she conceived twins, and she was going to give birth to twins, and she did. And Esau was born first, he was the oldest, and Jacob was born second. And Isaac, the father, loved Esau. And Rebekah, the mother, loved Jacob. And Esau was the oldest. And in biblical times, the oldest child would always receive what was known as the birthright. So for those of you who aren't familiar, I'm going to try to explain it to you. But the birthright involved both a physical and a spiritual dynamic. You see, the oldest child, and in this case Esau, would receive a double portion of the inheritance. That's a good deal, somebody. He'd receive a double portion of the inheritance. And eventually, he would become the head of the family. When the father passed away, he would become the head of the family. Now, in this specific family that we're reading about in Scripture, the birthright actually determined who would inherit the covenant promise of God that he gave to Abraham of land and a nation and the lineage of Christ. There was something amazing about this specific birthright. And so when you read in Genesis chapter 25, you find Esau. And Esau was a manly man. He was the man that would go out and he would do all the hunting. And so one day Esau goes out and he is gone all day. He's gone for so long and he's hunting and doing everything he can to provide for the family. And when he returns, he is literally exhausted. And he is so hungry. Anybody so hungry right now? You're like, could you preach a little faster, Pastor Megan? Okay, he was like 20 times as hungry as you are right now. He was so hungry. And he gets back from hunting and his brother Jacob, Jacob also means deceiver, was there. And Jacob was at home and he was cooking a pot of stew, a bowl of soup. And he's cooking the soup and it smelled so good. You know when you go to Costco and you're starving and even the samples smell good to you, right? It smelled so good. And Esau, he was so hungry. But the problem is he had this real need. He had this real pain. I mean, the hunger pains were real, y'all. And the distraction of the soup was not bad in and of itself. It was soup. Soup is not wrong. But let me just tell you something. Jacob looked at Esau and he said, I'll give you a bowl of soup if you'll give me your birthright. You guys, the birthright was the most valuable thing that Esau had. It had the promise of his future attached to it. But in that moment, Esau was so hungry and he was so tired and he wanted that bowl of soup so bad. And Jacob said, I'll give it to you if you'll give me your birthright. 
And you see, that bowl of soup was not bad in and of itself, but it was a distraction for Esau. It was a distraction because there was real pain and he was really hungry. And that distraction led to a decision which brought destruction. That distraction led to a decision which brought destruction. You see, Esau traded in his birthright for a bowl of soup. You see, he lived for the moment rather than for the future. And he missed out on everything that was promised to him. I just want to ask you today, in what ways are your decisions like Esau's? In what ways are your decisions like Esau's? Where are you giving up some long-term good for a present thrill? I want you to ask yourself that. In what ways are you sacrificing the long-term, big-picture future for a temporary thrill, a distraction in the moment? You know, spiritually speaking, many of us today are exchanging our birthright for a temporary distraction. You know, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, it actually tells us that when we make a decision to follow Jesus, we are adopted into his family and we're given a spiritual birthright. Ephesians 3, 1 through 14 tells us everything that that offers to us. It offers to us every spiritual blessing. It offers to us adoption into God's family. Listen, a place to belong. I think so many of us are looking for a place to belong. And so much of the decisions we make, good or bad, are determined because we're looking for acceptance. But our inheritance from Jesus offers us complete acceptance. That no matter your story and no matter your past, you are loved. Our inheritance from Jesus offers us freedom from any slavery to sin. It's like that scripture we read in the beginning. You do not have to give in to the desires of your flesh anymore because we've been adopted into the family of God and our birthright, our inheritance says, you don't have to be bound by this anymore. And guess what else? It offers us true and total forgiveness. There's no shame in our relationship with Jesus. The Bible says there is therefore no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It offers us the riches of God's grace. It offers us the revelation of God's will. That means when we don't know what the future holds, God does and he'll show us. It offers us eternal security to know that one day we can spend our future with Jesus. And it guarantees us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our counselor, our guide, our friend. Everything that we need is found in who Jesus is. We have these promises. But how often do we get distracted? How often do we get sidetracked with the moment rather than living with the big picture perspective? Hey, listen to me, church. An idol is anyone or anything that we use to meet needs that only God can meet. And what gets us in trouble is anything that we go after more than we go after God. Proverbs 4.20 says, Dear friend, listen well to my words. Tune your ears to my voice. Keep my message in plain view at all times. Remember God's word? It's that surgeon's scalpel. It wants to help us. 
in those areas of our life. Keep the message in plain view at all times. Concentrate. Hey, focus on the right things. Learn it by heart. Those who discovered these words, listen, they live. They really live. Body and soul, they're bursting with health. So keep vigilant watch over your heart because that's where life starts. That's behind the scenes. Don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Avoid careless banter and white lies and gossip. Keep your eyes straight ahead and ignore all the sideshow distractions. Watch your step and the road will stretch out smooth before you. Look neither to the right or to the left. Leave evil in the dust. So I want to challenge you with three thoughts as I close. Please don't let distraction dictate your direction. Please don't let distraction dictate your direction. So how do you do that? Number one, do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Listen to me, church. Don't wait. Do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. If you have an area of hidden sin, don't wait any longer. There's no condemnation. God's grace is sufficient. His forgiveness is complete. It doesn't mean that there's, a, there's not going to be pain involved in the process, but I'm telling you, God is the great healer. If you have a hidden area of sin, don't wait any longer. It's time to have the conversation that you've been avoiding. And if you don't know how to have that conversation, we'll help you. In fact, at the end of service today, we're going to have prayer teams down here in the front. And there are people that you can trust that you can come and pray with. So if you're here, I want to challenge you, do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. It's time to have the tough conversations. Stop prolonging the pain. That boil will spread. Don't allow fear or pressure to keep you from purpose. Don't put off what needs to be done today. Just do it. Number two, identify the idols. What are the things in your life, whether good or bad, that have become distractions for you? Are there areas in your life that have become idols? Listen, you'll know that they're idols if they're things that you turn to before you turn to God. Identify the idols. And number three, make a change. Make a change. Listen, I just want to challenge you for 21 days. Every time you want to do that one thing, every time you're leaning towards that distraction, just do something different. And here's a thought. Practice letting your first response be prayer. God, I need your help. And your second response, obedience. Your first response, prayer. Your second response, obedience. Listen, anything that's preventing you from giving your full attention to God is a distraction. And my challenge to us as a church is that we stop living life in the shadows, aware of the light, but flirting with the dark, distracted. My hope for us as a church is that we destroy the false pretenses, that we deal with the distractions and we let God do the work behind the scenes in our lives so that we can live the life that he's given us to live, so that we can operate from the position that we've already been given by God as sons and daughters of God. No longer distracted by the here and now, but expectant for more. 
I want to leave you with this verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. And it says this. I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I've made it, but I'm well on my way reaching out for Christ who, listen, has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but listen, I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. And I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. Could that be the decision that we make today? To get our eyes on Jesus, not looking to the right or to the left, dealing with the distractions that may have become idols, keeping our eyes on Jesus, dealing with the pain so that we can move forward into the promise that God has for us. Could that be something that we do today? Because I believe God has some big things in store for you as an individual and for us as a church. And how are we going to get there? Eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. He's so faithful. You know, I've got to close this out today. But before I do, I just want to talk to somebody in the room who maybe in listening to this message, maybe you identify with the places of pain or the hidden sin. In fact, maybe it's the thing that's kept you from coming to church in the past. And maybe you're here today and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. So when I talk about the inheritance that we have as sons and daughters of God, you're like, well, that's great, but I don't think it's for me. And I'm just here to tell you that Jesus paid the price for every single one of our sins, you included. And there is forgiveness and grace that is freely offered to every single one of us. And I don't know what's held you back from making a decision to follow Jesus, but I believe that today is your day. And maybe you're here and maybe you have made a decision like that a long time ago, but if you were to be honest, you've just been running from God. You've been doing your own thing, trying to avoid pain. And today is a day to come back. And if that's you, I sure would love to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat. I'm not even going to ask you to pray out loud. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone in the room right now just to bow your head and close your eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one moving around. If that's you today, and you know that today is your day of decision, whether for the first time or the first time in a long time, I'd like to pray with you. And I sure would love to know who I'm praying for. Nobody's looking around. So if that's you and you'd like to pray that prayer with me right now, I'm just going to ask you on the count of three to slip your hand up and slip it right back down. Are you ready? One, two, three. Awesome. I see that hand. Anybody else? Awesome. Awesome. If that's you and this is the prayer that you're praying today, just let these words be the cry of your heart. Say, dear God, I know that I've sinned. And I ask you to forgive me. Today, I make a decision to follow you. And all over the room, if that's you and this is your prayer that you're praying today, just let these words be the cry of your heart. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you please email us at info at theocmovement.com. And if you were not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. 
please send us an email at info at theocmovement.com. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church.